0: podcast today that I truly enjoy and this is a podcast where we have a listener who joins us on the show and today we have a gentleman by the name of Joel. He is uh, on the East Coast. He is a paralegal, very intelligent guy who's not unaccustomed to being on the internet. You told me before we came on here that uh, your first experience being on the internet went took off pretty heavily uh, because when you were a younger man, you had some remedy for bedbugs, of all things. And that kind of took off for you, right? Yes, sir. Uh,
1: thank you for having me. Um, yeah, I first came to the Internet notoriety or fame, whatever you would like to label it. Uh, I think back in 2011 was when I created my first uh, video. But uh, I had, was in school at the time, and I had no money. And I got bed bugs really quickly after moving in and um, I, I had to figure out a way to get rid of them. And I just was scouring the internet, trying to find methods and, and techniques and uh, met a couple people who uh, told me about a pretty easy DIY trap that you can make at home, very inexpensive and it worked. And uh, so I made a video of it, put it on YouTube and it just took off. And uh, so now my channel, um, Joel Z Williams on uh, YouTube is uh, just highly, highly viewed, and I'm just very grateful for that experience. It, it, it uh, was uh, not planned, it, and it certainly took me by surprise. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I think uh, the Rational Boomer and TikTok took a lot of people by surprise, including myself, the fact that you get people who want to watch and want to follow. Now, the reason why I was very interested in talking to you, of course, I'll talk to any listener that wants to come on, but I was particularly interested because you gave me some information uh, about um, what i think is really the basis of the big problems in this country it's about racism uh, i don't think racism is any worse or any better than it was in the past i think donald trump and the trump le as they are now have basically brought what was always there up to the surface like a fever blister so now it's exposed for its ugliness And in some respects, I think that's a good thing. It's easier to address when it's out in the open as opposed to hiding under rocks. I don't know what you think about that.
1: Yeah, I I totally agree with you. I'm a veteran, and one of the uh, worst things that happened to me as far as relationships is I had a guy that I joined the military with, and and, uh, we were, I mean, you couldn't be tighter brothers. And uh, he came to visit me about, I'd say about right, right when Trump was coming down the escalator. And and uh, declaring his candidacy, and uh, we I, make a long story short, we we parted ways, and it was really sad. I mean, yeah. we had been close, 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 but um, you know, he had been uh, down the queue, rabbit hole, kind of, and, and just inundated with, and it was all based on replacement theory and fear, and um, you know, fear is, is probably you know, he's talking about supporting building the wall and and all of these uh, really separating families and um, just really hurtful and 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 spiteful, you know, like he he really, for, in particular, one of the things that really drove a wedge between us was uh, at the time there, Donald Trump was his uh, immigration uh, branch. I forgot the name. It might have been ICE or uh, Bureau of Land—I I don't know—but one of the immigration agencies policies was to separate children from their parents when they right. when they came across the border. And I just can't think of how incredibly psychologically damaging that would be for—I don't know—a three, four-year-old child. you oh not God. know Who their parents are, and and they're in a cage, and I, I, and the fact that he was looking at that is yeah, that'll teach you not to come back. And, and it was just really um, inhumane and almost to a point of torturous. And and it was like he was enjoying that. And that's, I, I just, I told him, I can't, we can't be friends anymore. And it was tragic. And and so I don't, like you said, I think racism has always been there. But it wasn't until about five years ago where I knew a lot of Republicans. And I, I had a lot of, uh, you know, they were basically, you um, about uh, uh, personal accountability, strong national defense, fiscal conservancy, that was about the, the measure of their platform. And today it's all hate. It's all oh. conspiracy, it's a big lie. And, and it's like, how did we get here in five years?
0: I feel like I should come up with some merch, some T-shirts that say, I was racist before racist was cool. Because that's what it seems like, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, oh, I, that brings me up to, uh, we we're, we're discussing this book, Mike and I er, earlier, were discussing a 2017 book by the author uh, Richard Rothstein, and it's called The Color of War. And what he, or, I'm sorry, The Color of Law. And, and what he talks about is how a lot of people think that racism is uh, a personal thing. Like, uh, you know, the, the government has never been racist. And that's just not true. And Absolutely. I think the, the most clear cut example that I can, I can give to the best analogy is New York City in the 1950s. Uh, it's important for you to know a man who was known as Robert Moses. Robert Moses, uh, was leader of the public works department in New York City. And he, he was so powerful that even mayors deferred to him. He, he controlled any bridge that was going to be built, any road that was going to, any swimming pool that was going to be, he had to sign off. His office had to sign off of. And one of the tactics that Robert Moses employed to keep black and brown people away from New York City beaches was to have the uh, bridges and the overpasses lowered to the point, well, actually not lowered, they just wouldn't build them, higher than I think it was 12 feet. And at that level, an average city bus was unable to travel under it. So if you were black or brown and grew up in the inner city and you did not own a car, there was absolutely no way you were going to be able to go to a beach. And so what that represents is du jour racism cooked in to the system where nobody called anyone the N word. Nobody uh, uh, you know told the person they couldn't get a job over here. But the fact that you were limited by infrastructure where you cannot even go and enjoy or avail yourself of certain um, businesses or, or um, locations—that is the racism that used to be. Now the racism is more overt, and, and it's it's really in your face nowadays.
0: You know what, what frustrates me more than anything is when I hear these Trumpal or, or just flat-out racists to say, "I don't have any white privilege. I worked hard for everything I got." Well, if you say that, you don't know what the fuck white privilege is even about. Can you? Can you define it from your perspective? Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, the best experiment uh, analogy that I've ever heard about, white privilege, was a professor who was teaching in, in one of those old school classrooms where you would have the, the chairs and uh, the desks, I'm sorry, seated in, in rows, essentially columns. Uh, it, you know, the front row would be nearest the teacher's desk and then second and then all the way to the back. And he took a garbage can and he set it in the middle of his table uh, at, the, at the front of the head of the classroom. And then he gave all the students a piece of paper, single piece of paper, and he asked them to fold it up and make it into a ball. And then goes, "Now everybody, we're going to go desk by desk, left to right, to, to you know, starting up here, the front left desk, make a basket with your crumpled up paper into the trash can." And so the kids that were in the very front rows obviously were had a distinct advantage of the kids that were in the very back. So that's probably the best analogy that I can give. But uh, to draw another correlation is the generational wealth, the inheritance of generational wealth. Uh, You know, you speak to a lot of middle class uh, white people in the Midwest and and they will say, you know, I'm I'm hardworking, poor man. But they have a family farm, but they have a family ranch, but they have a, a homestead or a dairy or some Business or some uh, structure that has been handed down to to, to them, but at least the, the building. Sometimes, more frequently, the equity. When when uh, you buy, when you when the returning veterans from World War II would use their VA loan to buy a very inexpensive, unfancy house back in the nineteen forties and fifties. Well, those homes now, because of the property value increases, are now worth triple that. And, and that allows the uh, grandma or grandpa to pass on that equity to their children. And, and a lot, there, there are a lot of what they would consider themselves to be middle class or lower middle class white people in, in, this, in this country that have directly benefited from that and not even aware that the reason why they were able to go to college or the reason why they were able to get along to uh, their parents were able to co sign for, for them to buy a home. Uh, it's because of those generational advantages that have been handed down that were not available to people of color in this country for, for many years.
0: Well, from that book, you brought up something that I didn't know, and which got, caught my attention right away, is that you were talking about the GI Bill, how people who served in the military got a little boost with the GI Bill, helped them get the House and helped them, you know, get a little further ahead, have a higher platform to jump from. But what I didn't understand and what you explained was that while there was a G.I. bill and, you know, we're talking about the 40s, early 50s after the World War II, that didn't necessarily apply to people of color.
1: Yes, uh, that's a good segue. Uh, One of the things that happened, I cannot remember his name, but he was a senator from Mississippi when the G.I. bill was first introduced and it was going through Congress it was going, there was going to be an agency, a federal agency, just like we have the FHA or um, uh, the Veterans Administration. There was going to be a federal agency that was going to administer these loan guarantees. And for the uninitiated, the GI Bill is a uh, contract with the government where the government will guarantee that a lending institution will be compensated if the uh, more, the buyer of the home defaults on the loan. In other words, a bank is is not going to incur any financial risk uh, if if the uh, seller or the sorry the buyer decides that he doesn't want to work anymore or, or is somehow disabled and can't earn money anymore. The federal government will step in and pay the rest of that loan. So it's a very enticing situation for if I'm a a bank, I am wanting to see a GI loan, a vet loan, because I know I'm not going to incur any risk, right. and so. Uh, going back to how, the implementation of it. So that senator from Mississippi, which I, I can't remember for the life of me, him and, and his cabal, they basically made it where it took it out of the federal government. Uh, that was one of, they would not sign, they would not sign onto that legislation unless they took the uh, administration of the loan dispersal from the federal government and gave it to the state. So the state and had the choice. Yes. And and as a as a consequence, as you can predict, in all the red states in the South, the, they handed out the fewest G.I. bill loans to black and brown G.I. returning veterans of combat. And that's it's just I think at one year, I want to say it was 1951, there were only four in the state of Mississippi handed out. And, and you know, anybody who has ever served in the military, you know, there's probably 300. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, three million uh under arms right now and of course that would have been higher in, in war uh it's just incredible low number to see you know and and let me say go back and say something about the working class uh, middle class of america oh I, I don't know of any instrument of federal policy that has done more to build the middle class than the gi bill i mean we're, we're talking about people who, who before the war were living in almost poverty and and after the war, they were able to purchase a home near a city where there would be a job. Uh, it's, it's an incredible uh, tra- dis- distribution of wealth that occurred, and I think a lot of people uh, underestimate just how advantageous it was to middle-class white Americans.
0: You know what's interesting? You talk about that issue, and and, and they're not allowing people of color to use the GI Bill, and that's egregious. But but you know what? Over the years, it doesn't seem to have gotten any better. I know when I've done shows with Ed, who lives down south, who lives in Tennessee, he let us know that there is all kinds of money coming from the government, going to the red states, down south particularly, that is intended for children in poverty or money sent for COVID relief. Now, we know what Ron DeSantis in Florida does with COVID relief money. He rounds up brown people, puts them on a plane, and as a joke, sends them to Martha's Vineyard. So the very problem you're talking about is still happening today. Uh, It certainly involves people of color, but now it involves people of other colors, of other countries. It involves people that are poor. I mean, when you want to look at the government, racism is one of the biggest bees in my bonnet because I hate. I hate bullies. I see racism as the epitome of bully. But people, what people have to remember, too, in the 40s and the 50s, not only were they marginalizing people of color, fucking women couldn't buy a mortgage. They couldn't even get a mortgage. They couldn't get a credit card. They were putting was, anybody down that wasn't a white male.
1: I was really surprised. I just learned that uh, white women were not allowed to have credit cards until I think it was America Express was the first one. Like in, in the 1960s? 60s? Yeah, that could be. Yeah. yeah. Um, you, you make excellent points there with the, the, the version of the, the, funding. Uh, right now, uh, there's a, a I, I don't know the, the, organization's name, but there's a consortium of black farmers, um, throughout the South who, uh, complain that they, uh, don't get their money and attack their federal subsidy to, to buy seed and fertilizer and, and, you know, put the next crop for the next season down all, until it's almost too late. Right or or it is too late. Right. Like they, they they will get the loan, you know, because it, anybody that's ever worked in agriculture, it just takes an incredible amount of money to to sustain the the startup. You know, the to get the, to buy the seed, to buy the fertilizer, to buy the tractors, to put it in the ground, and you can you got to do it in early spring. And 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 so what would happen to them systematically is they would receive their loan, but it would be. At the end of the year, when, when the harvest season, when it's too late to really plan anything. Right. And, and so now they're stuck with this debt, but they have no means to repay it. Right. and that, and, and So they're bringing a lot in the Supreme Court docket right now. I forgot the name of the case, but it is a group of black, in particular, black farmers, uh, mostly through Georgia and Alabama and Mississippi, I think, um, where they've, they've teamed up and made a class action lawsuit and say, hey, this is not, uh, uh, fair, you know, you, you get the white farmers; they get their loans in early March or May, or yeah, March, I guess it would be, and and they're and they're able to get their crop out in the field and, and plant it and, and and whatnot. They don't have any problems about paying back those loans. So that that's another uh, almost a vestige of what we were talking about. How um, what Robert, uh, I'm sorry, Richard Rothstein, what he talks about. There's two kinds of uh, racism, right? One one is de jour, right? By the law. And then one is de facto, where where the, the by the law racism is the racism where Robert Moses builds that bridge so that schools I mean buses can't get to the to the beaches. Right. That's by the law type of racism, right? That's cooked in, baked in, systemic. Um the de jour racism that we see is more of a black family moves into an all white uh, neighborhood and everybody starts leaving you know that that's the kind of racism that i think is is easier to fight against uh than the du jour the by the law and that you know because it takes time to go to court to to take up these matters in front of the supreme court it, it takes a lot of time and and but uh I, I think both you're i think you're both you're right on both points that racism i think is the number one driving Wedge in American politics
0: today. Absolutely. There's no question. I'm going to throw something out here and see what you think. And it might annoy people right off the bat. Here's why I don't believe in white, white privilege, because what the white people get in their alleged privilege is what everybody should get. This isn't about white privilege. This is a concerted and intentional attack on people of color. What the white people are getting is what everybody should get. What's being done is the people of color are being held back to not even rise to that level to appreciate Mm. whatever, not even white privilege, the privilege Mm. we should have of being in this country. It's real easy to say, well, we treat white people better or white have privilege and I don't have privilege, but it's far more insidious than that. It's Mm -hmm. intentional acts against people of color to hold them back. And I think that's more problematic than saying, oh, white people just have it better. Yeah. I don't know what you think about that. That, That's maybe controversial to
1: some folks, but that's (laughs) the way I see it. I want to give you an example that happened. I think it was California recently. uh, There was a black couple, professional couple who were looking to sell their home and uh, they they had uh, essentially moved already. But they had left a lot of their personal belongings in the house that was being shown and uh, had a lot of their photos, up, you know, family photos and things like that. Yeah. Well, the, uh, it was a white realtor who was working with them, showed their home, uh, to many prospective buyers and wasn't getting a nibble, wasn't getting a bite. Nobody wanted to buy or they were underfitting what the property was worth. And, you know, the owner, the owners were getting a little perturbed because it's been like a year, a year and a half. Nothing's happened. What the hell? This is a good market, uh, good location, whatever. The realtor suggested that they take all the family photos down, and the house instantly went up in value, and 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 uh, was uh, the, the the prices that were being offered for the home were were more in line with what they had uh, initially asked for.
0: I'm going to tell you a couple of quick stories. Um, and this first one I did on TikTok, and and when I did it on TikTok. Um, it got like a million views. It was early on when I was doing TikTok, so to get a ton of views was crazy. And I tell this story. I lived in a white bread. My kids were young. I lived in a white bread suburb of Minneapolis, okay? And one of our neighbors decides to leave, and that house is sold. So my next-door neighbor, who was friends with those people who left, and I was friends with those people who left, I'm standing in my driveway, and they come. And the woman, who's from some small town, Minnesota, comes up to me and goes, yeah, you know who's moving in that house? I go, "Have no fucking clue." And she says, "Black people." And I always wonder why they always has to whisper whisper that. "Oh, it's black people." And I said, <laughs> okay. I said, "Okay." She says, "Well, aren't you worried about that?" I go, "Worried about it?" This isn't the fucking 60s. This is the early 2000s. Why would I worry about it? If they can afford to be in that house and they're respectful people, I don't give a fuck what color they are. She she says, I'm just nervous about it. I said, look, here's the deal. I hope they're nice people and we hang out with them. I hope they have a really cute daughter that uh, is willing to date my son.
1: I think and, I remember that video. Right. I think I saw
0: that. And, and then she said, she said, she was just appalled by me saying that. Yeah. Well, it turns out th- th- this couple was a very nice couple. And uh, the they did have a daughter who was a very cute daughter. My son didn't end up going to prom with her. He went to prom with another black girl, but not this girl. But this girl, we love this girl. She worked up at the local gas station convenience store. I saw her every day, couple times a day. Mm Love talking to her and all that stuff. So she graduates from high school. And she comes to me and says, would you and your wife like to come to my graduation party? I said, fuck yeah, I would. And so when the graduation party (laughs) started, I walked across the street, walked through some people's yards, and walked up to the graduation party. Now, this was very foreign to me because it was all people of color. Okay. And that didn't bother me. And they had the rap music going, and that was a little out of my realm because I'm from the fucking 70s. But I walked up and I saw her dad, and her dad did all the cooking for this. Now, I'm a guy that likes to eat now and again. And I'm looking at what he laid out there, and he has one table full of ribs, chicken, steak, pork, every fucking thing, and then he has another table full of every kind of side, and I'm trying this stuff, and and it was amazing, and the people were friendly as hell. I know we were the novelty because we were the only white people there, but everybody was absolutely nice to me, and we had a great time. And it wasn't because they were black and I was white. It was because we were fucking people that were celebrating a little girl who did something that was important. Yes. And we were the only white people that were there. I don't know if we were the only white people that were were um, invited or not. But I know when I look back at that place I used to live, that suburb, you thought it was a nice little suburb. Now I don't even like going back there because there are trumple fucks by the dozen and clearly oh. racists by the dozens. People say, you want to come back to a party? No, I don't want to come back to a party because you don't know how to fucking treat people. Mm-hmm. And we had a wonderful time at that party. I love that. Uh, I love that little girl. I haven't seen her for many years. I know her father passed away and that was very sad. But oh, you know yeah. what? I went there with the expectations of having a graduation party. The yeah. fact that she was black had no bearing, and I had a fucking hell of a time. The best graduation party yeah. I ever went to. Let me tell you one other thing, real quick, and I want to get your observation. My wife and okay. I just bought a condominium down in Savannah, Georgia. We mm. love Savannah, Georgia. My whole family loves Savannah, Georgia. If we're
1: going to go there. It's the- real beautiful. I've never been there. I, I, like, I saw that movie uh, with the gosh,
0: what was it called? Forrest Gump was there. There's been no, a no, of no. Out. It was
1: uh, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil.
0: Oh, yeah. Great show.
1: Um, and it just really showcased the beauty of the, the hanging Spanish moss on the yeah, tree. Yeah, it's, it's a
0: beautiful like- place, and it's real close to Tybee Island, a great beach community, very close to Hilton Head, very close to Charleston. It's just a perfect place. We love it. Mm-hmm. Now, when we go down there, we've always been treated very nice by everybody, but When we were doing, when we were starting to move stuff down there, people said, "I said, is there anything I should know about the community? You know, where good places to eat, all that kind of stuff." And they said, "Well, you just, you you might want to stay away from the areas that aren't about you." I go, "What do you mean?" And they said, "Well, there's a section of town that's more black than white." I go, "I don't give a fuck about that," and. And, you know, many times my wife and I would find my, ourselves in that part of town getting gas or eating at a restaurant. There were more black people than there were white people, but I didn't feel any problems. But the saddest part of it, I'm a kind of guy who will talk to anybody for any length of time. I think that's clear by doing the show on the TikTok. <laughs> so... We'll be in this part of town at a restaurant or a gas station or something, and I'll see somebody, like the last one, last person I talked to before we came back the last time, was a woman probably 70 years old. She was she was black, and I bumped into her in a thing, and we just started chatting, and I'll make some jokes, and we'll kind of interplay and stuff. The saddest part of that, while she was extremely friendly to me, she had this look of shock in her eye. This big, dumb white guy is actually carrying on an interplay and we're talking like we're equal i don't know maybe i misread that but she seems surprised and accepting of it but surprised that i would actually engage her on the same level i would gauge any white person that pissed me off because this woman was a lovely woman and if she had to experience being treated like shit by white people just by virtue of her being a person of color that fucking pissed me off and made me a little sad
1: yeah yeah I, uh, you know, I live in Washington DC right now, and I can tell you this is a, a city of where you can see the effects of redlining. Um, redlining for, for the uninitiated is, was a, a practice and, uh, basically promulgated by the federal housing administration where, um, the federal government would allow, uh, people of color to buy homes in only certain areas of town. Right. And they literally if you look at the geography of the city, they would take a red pencil and, and say beyond this line, you cannot rent or uh, uh, propose loans to people of color beyond this geographic boundary. And I, I live in southeast Washington, D.C., and I can tell you this neighborhood that I'm in now is completely black. And, okay. uh, occasionally we'll get a Latino and, or a Pacific Islander and they'll, they'll, or maybe even a white person. They'll be here for about six months and then they're gone.
0: Yeah. And
1: so that you got to think that that didn't really come off the books. That whole concept of redlining didn't come off the books until the civil rights movement and, and, and in 1955, I, I would say, but the lasting vestiges of it are still apparent today in most major cities throughout America. Oh, hell yeah. Sometimes it'll be railroad tracks. Sometimes it'll be a river, um, but there's usually a, a, a demarcation in each city that was exclusively reserved. And, and uh, Richard Rothstein calls that the, the ghettoizing of, of America where, where he says, it, you know, the worst part about it is it wasn't banks that came up with it. It was the federal government that, that uh, promulgated these loans. And the reason why they did that, these policies, the reason why they did it is because of white flight is because they knew that the uh, property value of homes would go down because white people would not want to live there if there were black and brown people allowed into those communities. And so uh, as a, I mean, we're in 2022, late 2022, and I'm telling you this city is split by the Anacostia River. They, they Literally, call it east of Anacostia. It's going to be all black. And and you know you go <clears throat> uh, two three miles from here to from where I live to the capital, and it, it's almost like you you're stepping into another city. Well, and, the, th-
0: the thing is, that, that, I guess that seems what I'm to say a lot right. of places. I yes, mean, and, everywhere. And
1: it, it's not limited to D.C. And you certainly see it in South Central Los Angeles. You see it. In, in uh, well, it used to be the Bronx in, in uh, um, uh, Harlem in, in New York, uh, which is slowly starting to, to you know get rid of the the uh, uh, panic. Well, the I guess the negative detrimental effects of that the, that those policies, but um, it, it has left an indelible scar in this country. And it, it, you're absolutely right. It is there are some places in the South that I've been where. Black people will avert their eyes. You know, if there's a white person coming into the room, they, they won't make contact with them. Right, right. It's, it's sad. It really is sad because, uh, you know, I think that anyone is, who has served in the military or been a part of a big organization where there is a lot of diversity, you realize quickly that you're not that different. You, you, no. you have the same hopes and dreams for your children. You, ha- you have the same hopes and dreams for for yourself and your family. Um, we have more similarity similarities than differences and that i think those people just have not been exposed to to uh people of other races where where they can see the the good people who are like you said the, the girl that's graduating from high school and and working a job and um they just the, their exposure to black people is usually very negative and and so they uh by right or wrong they they falsely associate bad crime drugs you know, with, with people of color. And, and it's, it's really tragic.
0: I have two sons that are millennials and uh, they're accepting of everybody because they have a mom who is a teacher and is very liberal minded and not racist at all. And, and, and of course, me, I, I would. And I explained to them, I said, if I transported you sometime at some point in the 60s and 70s during my youth, if I transport you, you back to those days, over and above the internet and cell phones and stuff like that, just the climate of race relations in the '60s, particularly in some of the '70s, if not all the '70s, you would shit yourself because what people don't understand is in the '60s and even the '70s, racism was accepted. Yeah. If you if, yeah. you if you if you if you said the N word, people would go, oh, that's not polite, but no one would be canceled about it white yep. like people said it all the time yes. you know people would say to, I grew up with a racist father an immensely racist father unless he was in front of a person of color then he was charming like, <laughs> you know that and, and that's an old joke but, but so someone says did you ever say anything racist in your life well I would be surprised if I fucking didn't as the way I was raised but at some point in your life you, you, you learn some things, you become intelligent, and you re- re- realize there is no difference. I mean, white racists think people of color wanted to pre- be treated better or special over and above the white people. And, and, and I always tell them, I said, that, that's not the case. As I'm sitting across, and I can see you, Joel, and you're a person of color, the fact that your personal color makes no difference. You're an intelligent man. You're experienced. You've got some good insights and stuff. And that's that's really all that matters. But you don't want me to treat you special. You just want me to treat oh. you equal. Because, Joel, yeah. if you say <laughs> some fucked up shit, I'm going to say, Joel, you said some fucked up shit. And your color has yeah. no bearing on it. Exactly. But if you said the best shit in the world, same thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that's a good point. I, you, you remind me of a story. Uh, if we have time, I, I want to talk about Ernie. Um, when I first started out, I, I got out of the military, and uh, I, I was working at a factory. It was uh, in uh, uh, Springfield, Missouri. And the, the job that they they did is they basically went around to the junkyards and they bought all the old intermediate-sized diesel engines. And then they took them and they degreased them, you know, shot, shot them with – uh, sandblasted them and then they replaced all the bearings and the, and the, all the inner working parts and then they resold them. So they're, they basically a, a remanufacturing engine plant. Right. And I had a job as, as a painter. I, that was my job. So the, I, down the, uh, factory line, the, the assembly line, the engines would come down and I didn't know whether they were going to be Caterpillar or Mitsubishi or, uh, Isuzu or whatever. I had to change the color paints to, to, to get them. And uh, I worked right next to uh, the guy that would bring me the the paint and the uh, pallets and all, all the equipment I needed. His name was Ernie. And Ernie came from a very, very small town in the Boot Hill of Missouri. And if anybody has ever been around Cape Girardeau or s- South uh, East Missouri, they'll, they'll understand that there are some uh, towns in there where they're so small. They don't even have a post office. Like they have to share, they have to go to another town to right. get their mail. And that's where Ernie was from. He came from a place that had a population, I don't remember the number, but it was less than a hundred. And uh so Ernie, he was a younger guy than me, and, and he really liked sports. He was really into football. And uh he came to me one day in my in the paint booth and he goes, uh, we're talking about football all the time. That was that was the thing that we had in common and we would talk about. And uh, Ernie comes to me and he says, did you see that game last night? And he's talking about the running back. And it, I think it was Emmett Smith. I'm, I'm not certain. I can't remember. But it was a black running back. And uh, he, he comes to me. And in his conversation, he goes, yeah, it was that, that colored guy, number 22. <laughs> and I didn't, you know, it, it was almost like the air had come out of me. You know, like I was just deflated you know, right. and, but I, 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 liked Ernie. So I didn't want to be rude. I just, I, I kind of shoot him off. Like I got a lot of stuff to do Ernie or whatever. And I, I started avoiding him, you know, and, uh, I, I must've, I, we were at lunch later, I think it was the day after. And, um, I, we had a lot of shared friends cause we worked in the same area in the factory right. and uh, right. he took his lunch at a different time, but, um, we're in lunch and I'm, we're sitting at a table of a lot of Ernie's friends, people who had grown up with Ernie or knew Ernie, and I—I uh, I mentioned it. I go, "Man, I can't believe that guy is racist." Blah 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 blah. And they and they were curious and they wanted to know what he had said. And I go, "Well, he referred to me or black people as colored," and and uh, they all started laughing and smiling. And I go, "What the hell is so funny?" And they go, "Oh, bro, you don't know Ernie, where he comes from." And I go, "What do you mean?" And he goes, where he comes from, white people would be afraid to go to. Like it, it is like deep Klan territory, you know, like that. And he goes, he is not doing that to be mean or or condescending. That's the only term he knows for for people. Yeah, well, that that, that could that, be. It, it, let me let me put the end on it. So, uh, as somebody had must told Ernie. Right, I I don't know how it was communicated back to him, but he came to my, uh, booth the very next day and was just red faced and, and totally embarrassed and, and really sorry and and uh, I, I, to- I let it go because I understood oh, that yeah. the intention was right. was was innocent, you know that he had no intent on on trying to be harmful and but I, I just thought that was a good ana- uh, ana- uh, analog to tell. Because uh, a lot of people are they may not even be aware that they have some kind of bias. Or oh, absolutely. They, absolutely. Uh, they
0: don't know any better. I'd just give you some 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 indication of the area you were talking about, of the area of the country yeah. uh, and, and, and the kind of attitudes that might be there. I don't know if you know this, but uh, Cape Girardeau is the hometown of Rush Limbaugh. Oh yeah, yeah. so give you some sense of why he Burtle, ended up the fucking racism brown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah
1: absolutely. And uh, poor Ernie, uh, I, I, he. Uh, this is years later. I I, I moved away, and, and uh, I just remained friends with him on Facebook. And that man married a black woman. <laughs> perfect.
0: Sure it perfect. 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 Sure it, it, it wasn't about color. It was about love. And Not that, at all. And he, that he, pr- proves the point. He doesn't care. He did not.
1: And the poor kid was so embarrassed. I felt bad for him, you know, because he thought he was going to lose me as a friend. You know, and that uh, that that really warmed my heart that he is yeah. that um, remorseful, you know, that he had, he had uh, stepped on on uh, my toes a little. But, uh, yeah, that, that's a really good story. And I try to tell that to people who say that they're not racist and, and it's possible that you're not. But you can still exhibit uh uh, bias and and certain uh qualities that, right. that can offend other people and and
0: so you have to be of it. well a true um, racist who knows he's racist if you say he's racist he'll get indignant i am not i do this i have black friends i knew a black guy who delivered milk to me once time how could i be fucking racist yeah yeah, yeah. I, t- I tell you what uh uh we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. We are back on the Rational Boomer podcast. And there's a direction I want to go with this, uh, Joel. And I want to get your perspective only because I don't quite understand how to how to rationalize it, if you will. Um, when I was a young man, like 18, 19 years old, I covered a lot of sports for radio. I was what they called a stringer. I'd go to press conferences, I'd go to events, and then I'd sell whatever I got, interviews or whatever, to various media outlets. And it was an awesome job for a 17-year-old kid. I was going on the field of pro football and pro baseball. I went to a lot of boxing matches. Now, one day, um, one day um, there was a fight. Larry Holmes was the heavyweight champion, and he was going to fight Scott Ledoux, who was a bigger white guy uh, from Minnesota. He wasn't great, but he got a little bit of notoriety. So we did the press conference and all this sort of stuff. And and then after it, we're walking around and everybody's following him. And, And apparently Larry had said some negative things about white people. So, So somebody from the crowd, or at least that was a perception, and somebody from the crowd, one of the reporters said, Larry, people are saying you're racist. Is that true? The fact that they even asked that question struck me strange, and I'm thinking, you're asking a black guy if he's racist. Well, Larry Holmes took this all in stride, and he made it a joke. He said, racist? You calling me racist, motherfucker? First of all, both my brothers are married to white women. I have four white Cadillacs, and I have two fucking white mink coats. I'm not racist. Whoa. Oh, that's a
1: brilliant response. And I, I
0: I laugh my ass off about it because that's how a white person would respond yeah, to the question. Yeah. But yeah. um, but, but, here, but but here's the thing, people okay. will say that, well, black people are just as racist. Now, some black people will say black people can't be racist. But at the same time, you do get people of color that dislike or kind of um, try to marginalize people that are white, then you have to figure out, is it because of their experiences and that they've been treated badly? So naturally, they're, they're, they're protective of their situation. The point is, that some people say black people can't be racist, or they can be racist, and white people are constantly saying, you're doing the same thing. So I should be able to do that, too. And that's all sounds just fucked up.
1: Uh, Yeah, and sadly, I have to have to be honest, I have encountered uh, black people that have extreme bias against white people. Um, I, I think a lot of it is justified uh, like my, my father, for example, he grew up in uh, Jim Crow, Oklahoma, and he recalls stories to me about how when he would go to the movies, they would uh, have separate intermissions so that the blacks and the whites would not uh, mingle in the, in the uh, lobby. Uh, also, he, when whenever he went to an all-black segregated school, this is before uh, Brown versus uh, Board of Topeka, in, um, 54. So, uh, he recalls that they would get textbooks only when they were handed down from, right. from the white school. So, right. so they, the textbooks would be all dog-eared and dirty. And, uh, he remembers when he, when he, he grew up in Altus, Oklahoma, a very small town. Um, and, uh, he said that, uh, he had an, uh, experience where he went into, to the city and white men would throw quarters or nickels at him and, and say, dance, boy, dance, you know, right, right. Uh, very Jim Crow. So he, that man had a lot of bias against white folks. And until he died, he passed uh, about five years ago.
0: And justifiably uh, so.
1: Right. And and the irony, the whole thing that I think is I don't I don't want to harp on it too much is that he was a salesman for, for most of his career. And um, he worked the companies that he worked for would kind of limit him to selling the black products or, or for like he'd work for uh, Johnson products for a while, or uh, Johnson and Johnson for a while. Mm-hmm. And so he was the guy that would come into the neighborhood and try to get the grocery store to take or or whatever kind of. Seriously, famous famous famous. Yeah, <laughs> his, yeah,
0: we're gonna have uh, you sell bubblelicious and grape soda, and that's all you're gonna cover. Is that really you know, that and, that fucking and happened? And
1: were, as really did happen, and he he got a, like for cigarettes, for example, you know any menthol cigarette, they put the black in on. Christ, it. and um, uh, you know, so you know, going back to what you're saying, can can people be black people be certainly capable of it? And the difference is. They are not, uh, they don't control the levers, levers of power. And right. so, so when, when I go back to the, the Richard Rothstein book, and, and there's no uh, Robert Moses, Black person, who is, you know, uh, using the system to keep white people from going to certain locations. You know, they just right. don't have the ability to do that. So by, you know, default, you cannot be a systemic racist and, and a person of color Not for long. I mean, it's coming, I think, as black and brown and Asian people make more progress socially. There certainly will be uh, brown and black people in the positions where they can affect, adversely affect uh, white people. But for the time being, and, 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 you know, to to build on that, that is, I think, uh, behind the reason for a lot of fear by by white supremacists. They know that the, the shit that they have visited, pardon my language, the, that's all right. the stuff that they have visited on black and brown people as the majority, when they become a minority, they are fearful that those same things will be <laughs> There dangerous. you go. And, and I, I really think that that's the root cause for a lot of this fear of teaching accurate history of American history, uh, uh, vis-a-vis the, the African-American experience and then the indigenous American experience. Uh, they don't want their kids to, to grow up knowing hey we did some pretty horrible things to people just because of their skin color and uh, I think that is also the the pushback that you're seeing in a lot of schools about Crt this critical race theory um yeah they don't want to be uh, the, the truth is you know the forefathers were were kind of villainous and 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 they don't want that out there and and it uh, really is a, a Almost a an amalgamation of that fear, I think, is the Trump movement that that MAGA movement really represents. Is make America great again means we're going to lose our status, we're going right. to lose right. every advantage that we have. We got to fight to keep that, you know. And I think that's why they're so uh, adamant to to keep things status quo.
0: I had this conversation with somebody one time, and 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 the way he reacted to me, I always. Um, the way I say the way he looked after is that his mouth was agape and he was holding his least least impressive appendage in his hand. Because that, that's, that's, that's really what's true. And some guy says to me, aren't you worried about becoming a minority? I go, no, I'm not worried about it at all. He goes, well, I am. I said, well, that may be because you treated people of color like shit. They're my friends. They aren't going to hurt me when I'm in the minority any more than they are going to hurt me when I'm in the majority. I'm cool Mm -hmm. with that. There's another aspect of racism. And I'll tell you another story. This was I don't know if this is really racism. This was just stupidity. But um, there are a lot of the likes of Candace Owens and. Maybe Kanye to a certain extent, and some other people. They're uh, people of color, racist against other people of color. Let me tell you this story. I was in the music business in the mid 80s, right, when Prince was hot, and I'm in Minneapolis, oh, yeah. and I'm dealing oh, with yeah. a lot of people that dealt with him. I had this person I represented immensely talented he played in the group the time he was in the movie purple rain and i represented him and he did some amazing things musically he was just a, a relatively uneducated kid and he was a kid from north minneapolis which is the part of this this metro area where it's largely uh people of color and and i'm taking him out to los angeles to meet with some record executives and i go to a major record label with my client The record executive, who actually ended up turning to shit later, but he's a a black gentleman, and he's well-known. So we go into the meeting, and as soon as we get there, I've always had to go to the bathroom a lot. I said, uh, look, sir, do you mind if I use your bathroom before we get started? (laughs) He said, no, go ahead. It's right down the hall. And I said, uh, okay, I come back. And by the time I get back, my client, who can be a little – he was, a little, he was a musician. He was a little unstable. He can go from being happy to really pissed off. He's standing up in this office before we even said a word. He's going, fuck you, motherfucker. Mike, let's get the fuck out of here. I don't like this motherfucker at all. What did he say to him? <laughs> well, this is what he said to him. Now, remember, they're both black. Yeah. And uh, I said, wait, wait, wait a minute. What's going on? And we came out here to see this guy. Now you don't want to see him. He says, you know what that motherfucker did? I go. I don't know and this is this wasn't this was partially because of color and this isn't the racist part it's partially because of color and it's because of the unsavory part of the music business um, the The executive said said to me look I was just I would just tell and he starts starting to talk and my, my, my client says fuck you he was trying to get me to fire you so I would hire one of his black management people that work for him now there's two issues there it's a color issue but more importantly it's about the music industry wanting to control the people they're signing to a fucking contract Mm. so it was it was sketchy the whole way Mm. and this black executive looks at my client and he says look dude this is a black music industry i just thought you'd be better off with a with a a black manager and and my client who is black that's not the terrible part. <laughs> my client, who is black, part of the black community, part of black <laughs> black society in Minneapolis, part of the black music industry. He looks at this guy and he says, "Are you fucking kidding me? I'm not going to have some n-word handle my money. I want this white guy to handle my money. I trust him." Wow. So, so, so wow. the weird the weird thing wasn't the executive. It wasn't yeah. my relation. This guy trusted me because I'd been with him the whole way, and in his mind, as a young black man, said, "I don't want black people handling my my money because they'll screw me." Yeah. How, yeah. Do, how do you get yeah. that? These are your people. I,
1: you're, you're absolutely right. You know, uh, I had the opportunity to meet an attorney in Philadelphia that had been working with the Department of Labor since it was first. Uh, the the federal building was built in uh, 1970 I guess under Gerald Ford so he he had been there a long 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 time and um, he was old I mean the guy was at least 80 and uh, he had basically reached where the government was pushing him out he he had been forced to retire and um, but he was a kind man and he would share these really interesting stories with me and he told me about his first uh, he came from the south. I, I want to say it was Alabama, maybe Georgia, but uh, he got his sheepskin at uh, Columbia, uh, Ivy League, and um, w- went down back home to practice law. And he he said that you would be surprised that he couldn't get any black clients. He he would get occasionally white clients, but he would not get black clients. And I asked him what was what was that all about. He goes, "Well, the the black people just they know their schools." And they know their, uh, you know, their education was shitty. And, and they can't imagine that he got an education that was any better than them. So w- why, if I'm going to spend the same amount of money, why would I go with somebody who's been uh, more poorly educated? And I, I was like, wow. He, that, he, you know, I asked him, I go, why, how did you get from there to Philadelphia? And he said he had to actually relocate to because, because he just, in his own hometown, he couldn't get enough work. Wow. From the people because they had bought into that inf- that white supremacy inferior- inferiority so much that that it yeah it could, it, it, it was a problem it was could a it problem. also
0: could it also be somebody who's a, a person of color that needs representation thinks well this is a fucking white system I better be a white guy to speak for yeah. me just like when a rapist or a sexual abuser gets a woman to represent him yeah
1: I think there was a lot of that to too, you know and and to be honest. Uh, that probably still goes on today. You know, um, I'm told that in divorce court, uh, you you do better with, with the female attorney if you're a man. Um, Which is ridiculous.
0: Yeah. Let's yeah. deal with facts,
1: yeah, it's, not perceptions. It's, it's bias, and and we all have it. Um, I don't know if you've ever been um, privy to the video. There's a, They show it. It's very popular in um, diversity classes and, and where they talk about implicit bias. But there is a video of a basketball game that's going on. And I, I don't know how it occurs, but you're so focused on the ball and who's got the ball, you don't recognize that there's a guy wearing a gorilla suit who walks directly, <laughs> directly across the court. And it's not until the instructor backs it up and shows you, and you go, oh, shit. I My bias is to watch the action, watch where the ball is To the point where it excludes all the other information that is being provided. And I I think that was the first time that I had ever become aware of what they call implicit bias that where you see a person and I I admit I have it bad with tattoos and piercings. If I go to see a professional, let's say a doctor or an attorney, and they're all tatted up and they've got, you know, facial piercing. But I instantly don't trust them as much. And I know that has no uh, basis in scientific scientific fact. It is an implicit bias that I hold. And it's terrible. But it, it, for me to say it doesn't exist would, would not be addressing the issue.
0: Well, it, it, it is a bias based on how we grew up. I'm older than you, I'm sure. But in our day and age, tattoos weren't a thing. I know my wife had an experience... Uh, talking to somebody who had a sister in law that was all tatted up. And, and my wife said, because she's from the 60s and 70s, she goes, I'm just not into all those tattoos, this woman with the tattoos up and down the arm. And the woman immediately, the woman who was a friend said, why do you hate her? Because she has tattoos. My wife said, I didn't say I hate her. I just don't like the tattoos. It's it's unusual to me. Now, whether my wife should have made that comment or not, because my wife has the propensity to put her in the foot in the mouth at, at the most inopportune times. But it was an innocent comment, and it was just yeah. a matter of perception, not an not a indication of what kind of woman this is because she never yeah. met the woman yeah. really personally. Yeah. She didn't know, him. but yeah. the, 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 there is that bias. I'm, I'm convinced, and see if you agree with me, I'm convinced that prejudice is everywhere, every day, all the time, and, I'll, and it's not just about color. If you've got a rich guy and a poor guy in a room, that rich guy's prejudiced, and the poor guy's prejudiced against him. If you've got a Catholic and a Lutheran in a room, the Catholic and the Lutherans are prejudiced to one another. Yeah. Male and females, you know, if you're a guy that works in an office where your boss is a female, you might be prejudiced against her or she might be prejudiced. I think we are all kind of conditioned to question or look out the side of our eyes of anybody that's even slightly different.
1: I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, and I, I just want to interject and, and say something that's going on right now that I'm having very difficult time with is the uh, he, her, them yeah. situation, the pronoun situation. Because I, it's very hard for me. If you present as a man to me, it's very hard for me to say her. Uh, or if you present as a female to me, it's very hard for me to say them. Or they, you're one yeah. person.
0: Right, right. You know, right.
1: The, the people that are binary or non-binary, and they, they don't want to be, right you know, Right, right. Uh, but going back to the analogy with Ernie, if I slip up and say her or him, you cannot be mad at me for that. Because this is a new phenomenon. I'm still adjusting. You know, for, for all, I'm 52 now. For all of my life, I, women who present as female have been called her or, or right. you know, if you are, she, you know, but I have, I'm, I'm having difficulty with that. And, I, and it's not out of a, a, a position of, of uh, misogyny or, or I, I don't like. You uh, can't
0: remember all the rules.
1: I can't remember. And especially if it's one person, it's hard for me to refer to you as they or them. And yeah, So I, I don't know. That's that's something that I, I think. A well,
0: unless you, li- unless you live down south, when you always say, In them. <laughs>
1: <I'll> say <laughs> and them. And them or y'all.
0: But I tell you yeah. where I learned my lesson on the hers, hers and his and stuff like that. I just try to call everybody by their name because that's the one thing we can agree on. I right. don't care what people identify as. You can identify as anything you want. When I was growing up, my father's name was Mike so they called me mickey which i hated as i gotten older people call me mike if some if one of my 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 relatives calls me mick i go okay but it's kind of annoying to me i don't say anything about it but yeah. my but my wife if i'm in a conversation she and i are standing together talking to another couple
1: uh-huh. and,
0: and i'm saying and then i'll refer to her and she, she said and i point to her i said she said she'll say i have a name she hates it oh. when I call her "she" or "her." Oh. So, I, if I, it's as if I forgot her name. I've been married thirty-nine years. Yeah. If I remember anything, oh, wow. I remember her fucking name. So, thirty-nine. You know, a lot of it. That's commendable. Yeah, well, yeah, it is formidable, and it's not so much. A, no, I said
1: commendable. That's very uh,
0: good. well. It's commendable, but it's uh, due to my wife. I mean, I'm a man, so I'm not always the easiest to live with uh, over the years. But you know what? Over time, you go through. The honeymoon parts, you go through the really rough patches, and if you can per- – I've always said marriage is about perseverance. If you can persevere mm. for anything, you can get to the uh, the uh, rewards later because now my mm-hmm. wife and I are essentially retired. We still do some things here and there, but we travel wherever we want. We're comfortable. We don't have the stress of kids. We get to go spoil our grandkids and then leave. Yeah. Life is really good now at 39. It's 62 years of age. She's the same age. Uh, now you get a chance to enjoy life, and had I mm-hmm. not persevered back in my twenties and thirties, I would not be enjoying this now. Yeah, I think perseverance yeah. is is is. The so
1: trigger. so her her trigger is when you don't when you refer to her in a generic term of trigger. right right and, oh, as if I'm
0: just some other girl or and, some and, other and, woman. And,
1: so I, I take it uh, going back to what I was saying that you struggle with that too. That you absolutely to be, you have to and be it, mindful not to inadvertently. Um, upset her yeah and it, that,
0: it, it's not intentional or i'm trying to not at all, not at uh, all. disregard her it's just i'm lazy
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i'm and, being and lazy you set. you're setting your ways and and i i am uh, I'm, I'm getting older and and you know the field that i work in the, the government attorneys generally come straight out of law school and, and it's usually one of the first gigs and uh so i deal with a lot of Younger attorneys, and right. we have a, a gal that uh, is, is identifies as non binary. And, uh, I, I, just, I avoid contact with her because I know I'm going to slip up and I don't want to hurt her feelings and I don't want, um, and, and, this is the other flip side of that point, is I think that people who are in that, um, LGBT or whatever, if, if they need to be, they need to have some mercy with, with, with the people now. Because I feel like I saw a video where there was this man who, well, he, he presented like a macho man. This guy was 6'5". He had a strong jawline, everything. But he's dressed like a female. And right. he's, he is, they made a meme out of it. But he, is a gas, or no, it was a GameStop. And he's trying to do some business with the, the clerk. And it's a young man. The, the clerk is, is a boy, really, probably a teenager. And... Here's this hulking 6'5", probably 275-pound uh, guy or person who presents as a, as a man but is dressed as a female. Right. And he just becomes so upset. And he goes, it's ma'am. It's ma'am. And and the, the poor boy is just, you know, withering under this. He's I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And, and they're, he's trying to get a discount or a, a return. He's trying to get his money back for something. And there's the problem is that the store doesn't allow it or, or they're having an issue over this, this return. But the kid is so, uh, what's the word, flustered that he, in the conversation, you know, he gets yelled at, it's ma'am, it's ma'am. And then they continue on with it. And he inadvertently says, thank you, sir. And it goes, it's oh. ma'am. <laughs> and he and he's so pissed off they made an entire meme over it but the point that I'm trying to make is that that guy needed to have some mercy that poor kid was not purposely trying to be harmful or or disrespectful and and I think it's almost they 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 some people in that community want want you to to cross them so that they can uh rough yeah they're up. looking for
0: trouble there are yeah. some I mean yeah. that, that's 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 the thing is you know you can understand the attitude, just as you understand the attitude with people of color. I mean, if you were gay or if you were transgender, sixties, seventies, it was fucking illegal. They took you to jail if you happened to be gay. So they they had their own kind of <clears throat> uh, prejudice against them, and they were treated poorly. And you can understand how some people might react and be insensitive or be sensitive about certain things. But in the same vein, there are people of color, there are people that are Catholics, there are people that are evangelicals, because the evangelicals are getting a lot of heat right now, want to shove it in your face. And I always say this about Trumplicans, when they know what I do on TikTok and what I do on the podcast, uh, they can't help themselves. They can't help but walk up to me and throw it in my face because they're so angry about what I do. I mean, it's right. so bad that people that know my wife will say, you know, Mike should calm down a little bit. He's going to have a heart attack. And and I said, honey, you understand what they're doing. They don't like what I do. They're trying to find a passive-aggressive way to stop me from doing it. Right. right. But sometimes it gets beyond passive-aggressive. If I walk into a room of Trumplicans and I go in their face and pick out every little thing that they do that upsets me, then I'm just starting shit that isn't necessary. Mm-hmm. We just go in, do our stuff and get the fuck out. Mm-hmm. And, and and we do have to deal with that. And I don't know how to deal with it because I understand their anger and I understand they want revenge. It's just not conducive to real life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and when you say that anger, like I was mentioned before, I think it, is really pitted in. We have been treating these people so poorly for so long, and if yeah. we, if the the coin flips and the, the situation is turned, we're going to be feeling the, the, the effects of that adversely. And I, I think that it, it is a real a real um, source of their anger and vitriol. You know, is that they are going to fight tooth and nail to, to you know fight for every election, every. Because they they know that they, they can read the writing on the wall. The 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 Catholic or the evangelical uh, what was that latest Pew, Pew Research Center report said that uh, half of Americans don't identify with a organized religion. Right, um, they're dying, and and um, the the population, the census, uh, you can look at uh, the average white couple is only having one child. If that. Uh, whereas, uh, people of color are, are having two, three children. It's just a matter of time. Yeah. And they know it. Time. And they know it. And that gives them great fear. And it's an existential fear where they feel it deep in their core. And I, I really think that that is the root for most of the MAGA, um, perspective, that whole, and you know, it's ostensibly they're patriots and they're, uh, you know, for the country and all, of, but really it's about they're, they're, they're fearful that they're going to lose their supremacy and their ability to keep subjugating people. Uh, and more importantly, they're afraid that that's going to now be visited on them. Right. And um, the funny thing is I don't think most black and brown people want to oppose white people I, I, like myself. I don't I think
0: have, so either. I don't run into it that much.
1: No, um, you get yours. You, you know, I mean, you want to work hard and get out there and make money. That, that, hey, I,
0: I've got it. a I've got a rule of thumb that I think a lot of people, whether they're people mm-hmm. of color or white people, if you're nice to me, I'm going to be nice to you. If yeah. you're an asshole to me, I guarantee you I'm going to be a bigger asshole. And it yeah. doesn't matter what 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 color it is, uh, color the person is. The thing is, I think timing has to. It, when we're talking about LGBTQ people or the people of color. You can't switch it overnight. And I'll give you an example. I grew up in the 60s. Martin Luther King died in the 60s and he was an activist in the 60s. He was a hero of the people of color, black people throughout this country. Many white people loved him too. But if you lived in my neighborhood, South Minneapolis, you know, working class. The vast majority of people in the 60s, when I was a child, would tell you Martin Luther King is a criminal. He's been in jail. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. He's been in jail. I didn't know he was in jail. Yeah. They, he, he was. He was made to be a villain. Yeah. It really wasn't even about black people. They didn't want to say, well, he wants to help black people, so we hate him. No, he's a criminal. The FBI mm-hmm. goes in, investigates him, tries to undermine him, and then he yeah. ultimately gets assassinated. All these you know, years that, later, now we understand who he was and how important he was.
1: And co-intelpro, right? Right, right. Were you going to mention that, that the FBI and the Department of Justice through Herbert Hoover uh, made an attempt to get him to commit suicide by uh, sending him uh, photos of him in
0: compromising
1: in compromised you know. positions with, with other women that he was not married to. Um, and suggested that he kill himself or they were going to, or they were going to reveal this to his wife. And, um, yeah, so we're finding that out now. And, and, uh, there was a, a famous, uh, black, um, activist. His name was Dick Gregory. And he famously said, they didn't kill Martin Luther King because he was black. They killed him because he was anti Vietnam War. And that could I, be. I was like blown away by that because he, you know, uh, that is almost like what we see today with modern Trumpism, you know, is they, it is exactly they, like that, you know, and, and they're not really against, you know, they're not really for building the wall. What they're really for is we don't like the fact that these there's too many brown people coming in here. Right. You know. Right.
0: Well, people. What people don't understand is in the '60s, and I remember this very well. You probably don't, because you weren't born in the '60s. You were born in the '70s. But yeah. in the '60s, I was a young man, and. I, I was born in nineteen sixty so from sixty to seventy, I was in my single digits uh and I was watching t v and I was experiencing things and and I t- people say, "Well, it's so bad right now, we'll never get out of this. I said, Well, live through the sixties. I was a little kid, I was scared shitless as I watched TV. I told a story where I'm in the living room watching t v and I'm crying my wife My mom comes in and says, What's wrong?" She goes, I don't want to go to college." What yeah. do you mean you don't want to go to college? It was because I was watching the riots in Madison and kids getting killed and kids getting yeah. hurt and maced kids and all state. this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So the 60s were similarly as bad as what we have now, maybe more so. We had four I major think so. assassinations.
1: I, I, you're absolutely right. And I think that a lot of Americans that are, are very fearful right now, they need to take it in perspective because the country was coming apart at the scene in 1968. Absolutely. Uh, You know, I mean, I I was watching recently the the CNN. I don't know if you've seen that, uh, where they basically talk about all the major events that that were happening, a CNN um, documentary. But uh, that, I I mean, just think about the close proximity. You had MLK dying. You got uh, Robert Kennedy being shot. You got the Tet Offensive. You got Kent State. You got uh, Malcolm X. Uh, all, yeah, Michael X. you got all the bombings that were happening. A lot of people don't remember that there, there was a problem with with bombings here in America where uh, universities and banks and stuff were, were being bombed. Um, and it, you had to watch riots. It felt like the country was coming apart. And, um, you know, we have a very myopic view of what's going on here today. You know, with the January 6th week, oh, goddamn, the end of democracy as we know it. I think we've been pretty close before. Yeah, I and, think we um, have too.
0: I mean, it, back it, in the it, d- back in the day in the sixties, p- if you didn't support the Vietnam War, you weren't a patriot. The only mm-hmm. people who were against the uh, uh, the war were the the pinko hippies that everybody hated. Well, those mm-hmm. pinko hippies were part and parcel to getting that war ended. And mm-hmm. now, as we look back fifty five years, we realize that was a fucked up war. We had no was, business being in there. It the was hippies were right.
1: Yeah. It was built, built on a lie. It was basically a way to fight China and Russia by proxy. And, and uh yeah, one day we'll look back at the debacle in Iraq and Afghanistan is similar. Right. We'll you know, look back and,
0: at the whole Trump administration, and it will be an embarrassment.
1: Oh gosh, I, I tell you that I, I moved. I, I was working in uh, Philadelphia as a federal employee, and the day. That I was transferred here. I'm literally driving into town in a U-Haul. And that's when Donald Trump was raising his hand. Right. And, uh, I, those four years, I tell you, you know, you felt it in, in the federal government. If you, if you, it just, it was in everything that you did, you know, and, um, I, uh, luckily because of the pandemic, I was sitting here in Southeast DC on January 6th when that took off. But, you could feel it in the yeah. city. I mean, it, it was a vibe. And um, I, I just, I can't say enough that the indelible damage that he has done is going to reverberate for years. We see it already in the, the elections that uh, that are happening now in Arizona. And, and you know, they're going to contest it. You know, if they lose, it's a big lie. It's a rig. It's been rigged, you know, and that is going to be their playbook from now on. And I, I, I just, I think that's a terrible thing for a democracy to not have a peaceful transition of power, you know? And I, I think that the president, the, the, and you, you, you see it even internationally now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's,
0: it's World, worldwide. World, worldwide. I mean, Bulgaria, inflation is worldwide.
1: Um, well, no, I'm, I'm talking about the whole, uh, election denial strategy. You're starting to see that with Bolsonaro in, yeah, in Brazil and, yeah. uh, Duterte in, in the Philippines. You know, it is a terrible thing for the standard bearer whether we like it or not for democracy um, to be setting this example for, for everyone. You know, that if you can't win lawfully, you just deny, deny, deny. And, right. and it's, it's terrible. You know, that man lost by 7 million votes. That's yeah, don't close. care who you are. You cannot cheat that. You can, you can't get uh, your mama's, your deceased mama's ballot. You cannot cheat that
0: big. You know you know who I blame on the divisiveness in this country and 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 a lot of what's going on. You can blame the Republicans, the Trumple fucks, Donald Trump and all that stuff, but I really blame the media because the media is the group that made this country divisive. And one of the reasons it's so divisive, and I learned this lesson when I was talking to the two Trumple fucks on the podcast. Mm. I'm telling I, I them. Seen
1: that show, by the way. I, I I'm,
0: t- I'm telling pe- I'm telling them common knowledge, and they will say to me, "I never heard that." I mean, wow. I wow. never heard that. So wow. you've got people listening to certain news outlets like Fox. Well, they're in an the the right echo way. chain. That's exactly right. what it is. They don't get the facts. These media outlets don't give them the facts, so they can't make informed choices. And so I, the other think, people who hear the facts, that creates the divisiveness. We know what's true. I mean, when they yeah. came on to do the show with me, they thought they were going to tear me up. And and I said, well, you're not going to tear me up because I'm dealing with facts. All you're you, do, you dealing with is you. rhetoric.
1: I was going to say, you work in broadcasting. You have a background in broadcasting. Yeah, what, was yeah. the name, what was the name of the act? I think it was called fairness in media act or yeah, uh, the fairness doctrine. Yeah. So essentially what it said, it's represented was if you're going to have a Democrat on a show, espousing one opinion, then you have to give a, a, an opposing view, a Republican with the opposing view, the equal amount of time to, and we lost that. And I think that that has been what's me, like you, you, you're trying to figure out what the origin of it is. To me, it was the, the death of that, uh, uh, well, there,
0: there, there was another part of that, too, that I think is even more important. In, when I was young going into broadcasting, it was clear, and I think it was part of the fairness doctrine, if you owned a radio station, you couldn't own more than two radio stations in any one market. You couldn't uh-huh. own more than one television station in one market. That's so big companies couldn't buy up all the media and then control it. Well, when Sinclair. they took that fairness, yeah, when they took that fairness doctrine away, all these big companies bought it, and now they control the narrative. And that's why we get no objective news anymore.
1: Yeah, yeah. I the Sinclair Broadcasting Group. I you hit the nail right on the head. There is a certain segment of America that when they turn on their radio, that's all they hear is, yeah. is Sinclair rubber stamp. Uh, have you seen the meme where, where the broadcast they show all the different broadcasts across the country saying the same exact. Message verbatim.
0: Yeah, have you I, seen that? I, I think I have. I don't recall what it exactly said, they, but it's I'm like sure. a split screen. You remember the old uh, Hollywood Squares?
1: Yeah. Where we the, show all the participants in, in, in a grid. Uh, they have Cleveland, uh, you know, Oklahoma, Tulsa, uh, Kansas City, you know, all the channels that are owned by Sinclair, and they're giving the evening news and they're telling the same story. Right, and it's literally bullshit. I forgot it might have been Benghazi, I can't remember, but it's been a while. But I, it was the first time that I became aware of uh, the Sinclair Group um, and just how they exert their tentacles over right. media, especially on AM and FM. Uh, it's just it, it, the, the amount of influence is insidious.
0: Well, and, and and that that really, when you talk about media, that is. Really one of the worst things that happened in this country, the most damaging, and that is the death of journalism. We have no journalism in this country, meaning objective reporting. I mean, I can go back to Walter Cronkite, uh, Harry Reisner, and all those people, and they just gave you the facts. There was no slant on it. Everybody got the same information, and then you were allowed to decide whether you liked it or not. Now, you didn't have to agree, but you all had the same information to deal with. Nobody has the same information. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to do TikTok and and the Rational Boomer podcast. I don't want to just give you those little – clickbait things that get you excited. I want to give you the whole story. I want to give you all the facts. And one thing that people say to me when they listen to TikToks or listen to the podcast, oh, geez, you made me feel better. Because hey. when, when when the media comes out and says, oh, my God, this is horrible, this is happening. And then I'll come back and I'll say, yeah, but here are some other facts. It's not as horrible as you think if you understand all the facts. And that makes people feel better. And if I can really? inform even a few people better than they've been informed. At least I feel like I'm accomplishing something.
1: I'm just curious, Mike, what has been your most popular TikTok? What was the one that is just really <laughs> going up?
0: <laughs> well, it's you know it's gotten more popular. Honestly, probably the most popular was that story I told you about uh, um, uh, about going, going to the graduation to, party? going to the barbecue. Yeah, I, I mean I got a ton on mine, and I had some. Uh, a black what kid the, du- did it. well I, you know I think mine was over a million that's probably Jesus, the greatest right and 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 uh, but but then again <laughs> there was this young kid kind of a you know rap rap guy uh maybe even thuggish looking you know because he had to right. drop pants and all this stuff and he uh-huh. duetted, he duetted it and he just stood there and pointed at me while I was telling the story he got like three million Wow he wow. got more than I did. It's so, the unfairness
1: of the algorithm,
0: isn't it? It is the unfairness of the algorithm, but but I love it because because of that story and some other things I've talked about with racism, I've got a lot of followers that are people of color. I've got a lot of yeah. young black people that say, you know, they they'll write me a note and they go, "Hey, Uncle, can you be my dad or can you be my uncle?" And I say, "Hell yes, hell yes, I can." Yeah.
1: And, you know, one of the good things is the
0: cross-pollinization. Like you said, you know, your message just got more exposure because of that kid. Absolutely. And that's I mean, all I want to do. I'm not looking to make money. I'm not looking for anything but get a truthful message out to people. And if, if people want to help me, I don't care if they got more more views than I did. I, 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 I'm not looking to monetize this as, as much as other folks are because I don't need to. I. I felt like it was an opportunity to do the one thing that everybody in life wanted to do. I want to do what I want to do without regard to money. I don't have to keep the lights on. I don't have to feed my kids. I'm just going to do what I want and see what happens. And that's, and you know, much- I, th-
1: I think that authenticity comes out in your TikToks, And I think, that's oh, what I hope so. Yeah. Endears you to a lot of your fans is that they know you're going to shoot straight and you're not going to, to uh, you, you don't have an agenda. Um, I think that is one of the things that appealed to me about your your account uh, on TikTok because that's the only way I have been. Told, I haven't gone on YouTube and seen um, just you know purely through through TikTok. And, and I appreciate I, that. I appreciate anybody's content. Time. I think you're timely with your with your uh, news, your your re- reporting of the news, and, or your take on it. And I think that you you bring a point of view that is not just based on a party. Right. Um, yeah. I, I think I saw a couple where you were actually contrary to um, gosh, what was it? I, I'm trying to remember the exact. But you said something that didn't align with completely with how I did. But I think that you did it from an honest and authentic uh, point of view. And, and I I respect that. I, I, I'm not going <coughs> to agree with, with everything that everybody says, even if they are on my team.
0: Well, and, I, tell, uh, I, t- I tell people I don't join teams. I grew up Lutheran, but I don't believe in organized religion because I think uh, uh, God and, and whatever you believe is a personal thing, and I'm not going to have some other tainted person tell me what I should and shouldn't believe based on whatever their belief is. I'm going to believe what I believe based on my personal experiences, and the same with the party. I tell people – it isn't about Democrats versus Republicans. In realistic terms, it's them against us. Because as much as I'm fighting with the Democrats now to put out the dumpster fire, which is the Republicans, we have to understand the Democrats have their problems, too. One What's thing, that? remember when they were coming out with the Build Back Better um, yeah. bill and the Republicans yeah. didn't want it and it didn't pass? And then the Democrats said something that troubled me. They said, this is the most transitional bill we've had in 80 years. I said, wait a minute, motherfucker. (laughs) 80 years? You were elected and paid to represent us. This is the first time in 80 years you did something for us? (laughs) <laughs> you 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 didn't codify Roe v. Wade. You didn't fucking put voting rights. Democrats had plenty of opportunities to do that in the last 80 years, and they didn't. So to think exactly. that they are absolutely our friends. People say, what's going to happen when Trump is gone and the Republicans are gone? Then I'm going to be in the Democrat shit. Who's well, ever in the, power?
1: He, you make a very cogent argument, and I can't disagree with that at all. I just add that there is no more... GOP. No, there is a. Like I said, it used to be about a na- strong national defense, bringing down the deficit. It's gone.
0: Yeah, that's it gone. Great. It doesn't exist. They anyway. are
1: all about the party of no. Yeah. Whatever is going to advance social causes or make the country infrastructure better, no. Yeah, and it's not because they want what's best for America. They want power. That's and, it. Well, there was a clip recently of uh, uh, Representative Boebert from Colorado, where, actually, no, I'm, I'm sorry, it was Dana Loch, the, the former very pretty um, spokesman, spokesperson for the NRA, the National rights Right, right, right. And they, I saw a, t- a, a brief clip of her recent, uh, giving a speech somewhere, and she goes, I don't give a damn if we, um, she was basically saying about the, the abortion thing. She, she was saying, I don't care if we kill Baby Eagles, I don't care. I just want power. I want us to be in power. I mean, just said it very explicitly.
0: She said the quiet thing out loud, and and that's what I don't understand about the Republicans. We're going to overturn Roe v. Wade. We're going to take away your Medicare and Social Security. It's almost like they're trying to tank this midterm thing. Nobody would ever say that. I mean, you remember back, I think, I don't know who this was, was running for president. Uh, And they had a vice presidential candidate with them name is Sergeant Shriver, I think. Oh, and yeah, they, yeah. And they kicked him off the ticket because he had the audacity to actually sit with a psychologist or a psychiatrist one time. Oh, no, that's too much. We can't have that yes. unstable guy yes. uh, on this was ticket. It, was, was it
1: MacArthur? Uh, no, I think it was the, maybe. Was it
0: Humphreys? No, it wasn't Humphrey. I don't think. I mean, Humphreys I don't from mean, here. I, so I, I, I think you
1: remember that, though. But,
0: I you, but, I mean, you don't have to go back. You look
1: at Michael Dukakis. Yeah, you know when he he got into that tank with that that weird helmet. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Or uh, what's his he's name? done? Uh, Dan Quill with the the, the spelling of um, was it tomato or potato? I can't remember.
0: It was tomato, or maybe it tomato. was potato. Yeah, yeah, that was tomato. ridiculous. But but Donald Trump can walk down the golden stairs and say, "Yeah, I'll grab women by the uh, privates. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll make cut a deal with a porn star, and it's all okay." How it's do you fucking explain unbelievable. that? Unbelievable, and the, the amount of dirt that he was able to get away with,
1: and and they would just turn a blind eye. I. I honestly, uh, who who was it? there was a recent candidate that, uh, gosh, who was it? It was running on uh, on this recent. It was early on. Was it? I think it might have been Andrew Yang. I can't remember, but one of them. No, no, it was the the crazy lady. Uh, Palin. No, she's a, a very green party. Oh yeah, yeah, I know who you, you know are talking about. Yeah, and yeah. I, I was like, please don't pick her because we have no chance. If they, you know what I mean. Right. And and the point that I was trying to make is that there used to be your running partner had a lot to do with whether you're going to be successful or not. You know. Oh yeah. And Pence was basically superfluous. You know, they it could have been. Uh, Bozo the Clown. And yeah. then it was all Trump. That's what they wanted, you know. And um, I, I don't know, man. I, you're right. You're absolutely. How far we have come where just going to see a, a shrink could, could take their chances to now. Uh, and, but I still think it applies to the, to the Democrats. I, oh, I don't, it does. I, well, who was the, the gay? Uh, uh, it was a guy from Virginia. It was a black man from Virginia. Or maybe it was Florida. But he he, had, he was running for governor and he was found unconscious in a motel room. Yeah, he was a guy from Florida. Yeah, I know what you're talking Florida about. Florida and uh, tanked him. Was, and so I guess what I'm trying to say is it. it doesn't seem to really – well, I guess Madison Cothorn is a cautionary tale.
0: Yeah, and nobody even talks about that clown anymore. He, he, he was the loudest guy in the room.
1: Yeah, he started bad-mouthing the GOP about uh, cocaine-fueled parties in D.C., and they, they, they yanked him, so – I can't say that ethics and and whatnot aren't completely uh, divorced from from identity politics and on the Republican Party, but I, I will say that it, it was just amazing to see the depth that of uh, impropriety that they would allow
0: Donald Trump to to get away with. Well, I, I, the reason reason I think that is true. The reason they forgave him of all his sins, his many sins is because it was a means to an end. The evangelicals wanted to get rid of abortion, and the trump wanted to marginalize LGBTQ people of color, anybody that's not them, and he represented something that would do that. In addition, this is something our government should take a look at. There was a red flag when Donald Trump was elected. People were tired of the establishment politics. They didn't feel like they were represented properly. Hillary Clinton represented... Right. And Hillary Clinton represented the establishment politics and people just, she wasn't likable on top of it. So they said, "We don't like Hillary, so we'll just vote for Trump. And then when they voted for Trump, many of these people, you know, Trump and you know, all these people, they can never say, you know, I'm wrong. I'm going to step back. Herschel Walker can't say I'm wrong. I'm going to step back. They just doubled down and they doubled down. Ron DeSantis doubles down and they Mm -hmm. will do it until they crash and fucking burn.
1: Yeah what have you seen the latest polling on the herschel walker thing i think uh it's five points is it
0: i'm you know it's i'm not you know i don't listen close. to the. i don't listen to the media or the polls well because I, tell you, I, the, I don't, the, don't the think the polls that... are going to be an issue i think what's going to come into play that the polls don't reflect there is going to be a massive outpouring in voters which will benefit the democrats and i think the polls will be shown to be pointless
1: well, I think there's some truth in that because of this. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of a, a political science thing called the Bradley Effect, but but what it was was uh, the mayor of Los Angeles who was running for re-election, Tom Bradley in Los yeah. Angeles, uh, was running against a guy named Pete Wilson, who's a white guy. Tom right. Bradley is black. Many people who were questioned on the street, "Who are you going to vote for?" Uh, They didn't want to seem politically incorrect because at the time, uh, Wilson had pretty much said a lot of racist things. And he was he was like the David Duke of his time. Like he wouldn't openly say that he, you know, but you knew that he was steeped in it. And so a lot of white people, when polled on the street, would say, no, I'm voting for Tom Bradley. I don't want to be branded as racist, you know. But then they went into the booths and they voted for Wilson. Right. And so it's become known as the Bradley effect, this big uh, uh, dissonance between what the polls were showing and what is actually going to happen. And the reason I brought that up is because of abortion. I can't tell you how many white women, middle class white women that have voted for Trump in the past are now very afraid that themselves or their daughters or even their grandchildren are going to be denied health care based on uh, the, the Dobbs decision. And I secretly think I think that this is what's going to happen in a lot of Republican houses where the wife is going to look at her man and go, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm voting for Trump. I agree. Trump. And they're going to secretly go into that polling booth and vote no. And and I think that we're, you're right about the polling being maybe inaccurate. I think that that is something that a lot of political scientists haven't uh, countenance, that, that there is going to be a change of heart with, with regards to. The uh, women having a, a right to, to, I mean, the laws are just so draconian. You got a ten-year-old girl who's raped in Ohio, Ohio that has to travel to Indiana to get an abortion. That is unreal to me. That that we are setting ourselves up for any victim of incest, any victim of rape to be forced to carry that child I think that's inhumane.
0: Well, I think a good indication is Georgia. i I don't know what the current count is, but at one point I heard that the early voting was 750,000 people. Maybe it's over a million now. I think it is. But they compared that to the 2020 election. And it's like, half again as much as what we saw in the 2020 election now imagine that we're talking about a presidential election that gets a better turnout than the midterms the midterms are always weak but now the midterm is beating the 2020 election in georgia I think people are scared to death. You know, that's one of the things that Republicans always said. No way Joe Biden can get 81 million votes. He's not charismatic. He's not tough. And what they fail to understand is they weren't voting because Joe Biden was great. They were voting because they were scared to death of fucking Donald Trump
1: would have voted for a yellow Labrador. Yeah. They, no they shit. Had, yeah. I, it's just, it, it's, it's become very, uh, Divisive, and, and like I said, you can't even say that you're a Republican now. No, I, 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 the, the true Republican, the fiscal Republicans that I used to know—that uh, you know, guys that we would go and watch football games together and, and lightly rib each other about, right? Uh, either, you know, oh, you you want to save on the def- on the bill because you're a penny penny pincer? or We would make jokes about uh, right. each other and, and, and jest in and fun even though we fundamentally had different core value uh, uh, beliefs on, on main issues, but we were still able to converse with each other. We still were able to respect each other. And I don't see that now. I don't know any Republicans anymore. I not knowingly. I mean, they, they may be secretly, but I, I don't know. I just don't have for, for me, if you are a Republican, you are either willfully ignorant or you have somehow justified in your mind why you should be, you're, that, complicit. you're
0: complicit. You're
1: complicit, yeah. You're well, complicit at the bare minimum, at the well, bare minimum.
0: And the thing is, is what you said is well taken because, you know, we're talking about polls and people say, yeah, Republican, Republican. It's really easy to say that. But we know what happens if you're a Republican and you speak against the Republican Party. It's not just... Oh being admonished you're going to get threatened you're going to so nobody's going to stay up and say yeah you know this this abortion thing and the racism and all this stuff's too much i'm going to either vote democrat or not vote they're not going to say that out loud because their own people will come after them because we've seen them do it
1: yeah yeah Uh, uh, it was the case in point was the uh ohio uh jd vance and, and uh tim ryan i think is his name yeah <clears throat> trump supported uh candidate jd vance uh if you, if you don't know he he wrote the hillbilly elegy yeah know, i think.
0: saw the movie yeah.
1: he grew up in appalachia and then uh, got a scholarship to uh i think it was yale i, I can't remember but he definitely i Ivy League League um and uh is running now against uh the incumbent, I, I mean, very capable, very. I mean, he, the, Tim Ryan, uh, demolished JD Vance in, in the uh, debates. But uh, the, the thing is, is Trump. He was he was a Trump supporter, you know. JD Vance was not
0: initially, and, though. Not initially, he hated that, Trump. That's my
1: point. That, that's my point. Is that even uh, we see with Ted Cruz, we see it with Lindsey Graham, we see it with the. Uh, but they, 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 he, Trump will just insult them, uh, uh, just excoriate them. And then they will just slightly give him and, and ignore nor like that didn't happen because they understand that the GOP is no longer the grand old party. It is the party of Trump.
0: Right. And I'm going to have to wrap it up here because we've gone long and that's, and that's fine. It's my show. We can go as long as we want. But I, I'm just going to say this and see what you think. Donald Trump has had his reign of power. For six years, people have bowed to him, kissed his ass, done whatever he could do. What they could do because he meant money to them and he meant votes to them. But come the midterms, if it turns out like I expect, the Democrats holding the House and uh, expanding the margin in the Senate. If that wow. happens,
1: that's uh,
0: very, very. Uh, what's the word uh, when, when you think high or
1: something? That's well, very. Uh... <laughs> Well, what is that word? uh It's it's confident, well very confident, and it it is super uh optimistic.
0: That's, well, that's, well, I, I have a real a, a, a reason I, I I say that because we keep hearing the media tell us, oh, the Republicans are going to win. They first they said they're going to win, then they said, well, the Democrats are doing well, then they say the Republicans are coming back. It's just all a shit show to make you nervous. But let me ask you this: since twenty twenty in twenty twenty. The Democrats held the, the House, right? They got yeah. the presidency, yeah. and uh, they they won the Senate, just barely, but barely. they won the Senate. Barely. So from 2020 to 2022, what have the Republicans done to get more votes? All they've done is ways to fuck themselves out of yeah. votes. So how yeah. logically, well, it, how does it make sense?
1: It's the economy. It's inflation. Well, that's what they're going to run on. That, hey, hey, look at how much your gas is costing. And we know from experience that there's a lot of voters that vote with their paycheck. You know, they yeah. vote over economic issues. And, and but, I think that is the biggest hurdle for for Democrats right now. That, but again,
0: polls in 2016 told us that Hillary was going to win for sure. No yes, question about it. Yes. If I, you- I, I, I got to say that I legitimately thought she, that she was going to win until uh, –
1: the FBI director, uh, Robert, what was his name? James Comey. Comey. Jim Comey. Came yeah. out and dropped that bombshell 11 days before the election. Oh, man, I knew we had lost at that instant. I knew it. Yeah, I mean, and had- it's
0: just more dirty tricks and more Russian yeah. meddling and all that other bullshit. I mean, mm-hmm. if there was ever uh, unjust or or um, illegitimate, election. It would have been 2016, not 2020.
1: Well, that, that's the speculation now. Why is it taking so long for the DOJ to indict Trump? And, and the, the rationale now is that they're going to wait till after the midterm.
0: I guarantee and you I, that's what it is. There's going to be a, you know, a you, rainstorm you think, of, of, of... Let me let
1: me put put the question to you, though, Mike. If the shoe were on the other foot, do you think the Republicans will put the brakes on it? No. Nope. Do you think they would respect the election? No.
0: Nope. No. Nope. So
1: I should... Democrats, I don't understand why we don't play Dirty like they do sometimes. We, well, you know, we, you know,
0: you know. It's funny. It's funny, uh, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. At some point, the Democrats have to get tough, and that's why the trump Lafucks who were on my show had a tough time because i represented something they didn't identify they perceive me as a democrat so they think i'm going to act like a democrat but instead i'm aggressive like a republican so they were totally fucking confused i out aggressed them and they didn't know what to do with it and because they are cowards by nature go back. you go got to listen what, what's there's two, the title of it? Do you, uh, do there's you there's, know? there's one called boomer v Trumplican. okay and one boomer this is on youtube no, no, it's on uh, my podcast, this podcast, okay. uh, Boomer v. Trumplikin and Boomer v. Trump fan. Okay. and And the whole point of doing that wasn't to kick their ass. I knew I was going to kick their ass because I had facts and figures and they had nothing. My point of it was to expose who we're fighting against. I think they get too much credit from the left, like they're strong, they're smart, they're cagey, they're playing 3D chess. But when you listen to those podcasts, you realize what we're dealing with. We're dealing with fucking imbeciles who know nothing about anything. So we've given them too much credit and too much power. I tell people, I said, look, if somebody like that was into your family, you push them away. You'd stay the fuck away from them. If he was in your company or she was in your company, you'd fire them or put them off in some Siberia place. But in this country, these same fuck ups, we've given them power because the Democrats allowed them to get power. If we would have shut them down in the media for the fools they were initially, we wouldn't be here. If we fought back with some, you know, Michelle Obama says, you know, when they go low, we go high. Well, I got to tell you, my experience with bullies, sometimes you got to get in the mud and give them exactly what they understand. And that's a I, punch know, in the mouth.
1: Merrick Garland is the classic example of that. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, Mitch McConnell saying, oh, well, it's mere election year, we can't. You know, and then what did they do within, uh, I think it was six weeks. We got Amy Comey Barrett and uh, Brett Kavanaugh, you know, in an election year. You know, I mean, the point that I'm trying to make is I feel like the gloves are off now. We're literally fighting for the future of democracy as we know it, because if we don't get the House and the Senate and they win the presidency, we are doomed because they are going to say that every election from then is rigged. And it, it, it's just, it's the end of democracy as
0: we it. And I just don't see that happening. I mean, just, and maybe it's a spiritual sense. In my life, I've seen things when the worst could happen and then it doesn't happen because everything writes itself. I'm hoping that's the case. Huh. Anyway, we, we've gone real long here, Joel, okay. and I appreciate you spending time with me and, and taking the time to talk sure, to me. Sure, I
1: enjoyed, I enjoyed it too. It's we'll been it an amazing
0: – yeah, anytime you want. All you have to do is email me and we'll do it again. But it's been an enjoyable conversation. And I'm sure the people who listen to pod, the podcast will will appreciate it. They seem to like the shows where the listeners come on, and you were a wonderful guest, and I appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. We uh, – let's see here. Folks listening, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to us and take time out of your day to listen. I hope you have a great day, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.